Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the cyber theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. I'm Steve King, the Director of Cybersecurity Advisory Services here at Cyber Theory. And today's podcast episode will explore the current challenges in cybersecurity marketing as we enter our third full year of worldwide COVID impacts, uh, accompanied by a global recession now, an unpredictable war using weaponized cyber warfare for the first time, I think, that we're aware of anyway in Russia. And then amid you know, our usual warnings from venture capitalists that there, that there won't be any new funding rounds, so don't, don't knock on our door. Joining me today is Gilly Nitzer, the CMO of Perimeter 81, and one of my favorite people on the planet. Gilly is a passionate, innovative, and results-driven marketing strategist and a veteran leader with about 20 years of international B2B cybersecurity experience, I think, who brings great leadership, obviously, to cybersecurity companies. She has built teams across multiple regions internationally, established new technology categories, she's built marketing machines, she's provided leadership and relationship management that regularly drives 50% plus consistent year-over-year growth. And her past experience includes marketing leadership roles in places like Simulate, elusive networks and uh, and large brands even including Symantec. She's a contributor to publications such as Forbes. She's the mother to three teenagers and she served in an F15 fighter squadron. So welcome Gilly. I'm glad you could join us today. Hi, thank you. Hi Steve. Hi. Let's uh let's dive in here. If I'm not mistaken, you guys just closed on a $100 million C round earlier this month with like a billion dollar valuation. I think that's known as a unicorn. How does that feel? And what was it that you think? I think B Capital and Insight were the leaders uh, in the investment round, and one of the other investors, what was it that they saw in you that gave them that level of confidence? Because it, after all, you know, if you look back to early June, I mean, it was. You know, that was, what, three weeks ago. We knew we were headed in these headwinds, and they could have pulled the funding at any time. Right. So first, it's it's great to be here, and thank you for inviting me. So you really asked a few questions about this round. It's very exciting time for us, not because, you know, we became a unicorn, but just because uh, the market is so busy, there are so many things going on. And for us, you know, this is just... And the means to continue moving forward, basically both the capital and insight developed a long-lasting relationship with us. They learned the team, the product, the customers, uh, the market tailwinds very deeply. It wasn't like an accelerated investment timeline, but rather a planned round that was built over time and, and takes into consideration a profound install base of almost 2,500 customers now. So the increasingly dangerous threat landscape has created heightened demand for cybersecurity solutions. Also, the rise of remote work and cloud adoption, fiber and 5G has created a fundamental shift in the network security landscape, uh, leading companies to replace their on-premise network and security appliances with secure corporate network over the internet. And 
big capital and other investors embrace our vision to really deliver a holistic security that is purpose-built for a cloud-first distributed workforce. And they share our belief that secure corporate network over the internet transcends the traditional office environment and is uh, the way to the future. We basically radically simplify network security for the modern hybrid, hybrid workforce as an SSC leader. A secure service edge with a platform that enforces a zero trust architecture. And this, by the way, has become a federal strategy in the U.S. Uh, following President Biden's executive order on improving the nation's cybersecurity. So a work uh, to radically simplify network security is not complete. This new funding will allow us to continue and remain committed to helping companies worldwide secure all of the networks and users in an agile and, and cost-effective and scalable way. So again, this has been a process. It's not, you know, something that just happened. Yeah, sure, sure. And you guys have been cloud native from the get-go, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've been named a Forrester's ZTNA uh, new wave leader. uh, And you just indicated you've got, what, 2,500 or so customers and lots Mm -hmm. of them, what, 250 employees across three global offices? Assume your direction, you said that your future direction is in line with the secure service edge rather than the SASE sort of direction. And that might be a reason for your success. Can you expand on that a little bit in terms of future product direction? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So so we believe that the internet is the new corporate network and that it will become only stronger as in the next five to 10 years, all companies will move their corporate networks from an on-premise and physical security appliances to a secure corporate network that is completely driven by software as a service over the internet. We built a platform that has a single management console, a single agent that is installed on all the managed devices of an organization and a single edge network that we manage. Uh, This allows us to basically offer and build the ultimate network security solution that is delivered as a SaaS solution over the internet. And the fact that we have almost 2,500 customers gives us more than 2,500 POVs and clear understanding how should we steer the product. Uh, We work very closely with our customers to prioritize the work, and we will continue to add more use cases and solutions to support the ultimate uh, secured corporate over the internet, which we are currently working on, like cloud access security broker, like user behavioral scoring and more. Um, Once you have the platform and the edge network backbone, it becomes a software play. And we listen to our customers and and reiterating uh, the product accordingly. Yeah, sure. And that the ZTNA space is getting kind of crowded these days, right? I mean, it's pretty cool that you're, you were named, and if I look at the Forrester chart, I think you're in there with what, Zscaler and um, like two or three other leaders in that space, which is, you know, you're to be congratulated for such an early uh, accomplishment, I think, in that, in that category. Congrats for that. The question Thank that you. I'm, uh, always curious about these days because of the Sequoia Black Swan memo and their sort of continual approach, negative approach to uh, to marketing and, and marketing spend is that is around the the marketing spend 
pace. I don't know. I will assume that you've been advised to slow down marketing spend, maybe not. But you've received, you know, you meaning Perimeter 81 has achieved some tremendous traction over the last 12 months with your current business model. Can you tell our audience how much of a role that maybe zero trust has played in your success or how much it might play in the future? And is that is zero trust part of your um, marketing strategy going forward? And are you going to continue to spend at the same pace that you have been spending in terms of marketing? Mm-hmm. Okay, so great question. So, you know, people often kind of mix different names and terms and technologies and methodologies and product names. So SASE and SSE and Zero Trust and all of that. So Zero Trust is a methodology, right? It's not a product. It refers more to the remote access piece, which was very relevant during COVID era. We do see this developing into something bigger. Uh, As mentioned, we call it secure corporate network over the internet, which Zero Trust is only one pillar of. There is an internet security component and and much more to it. Everyone is looking to replace their VPN and the Zero Trust-based technology is what it is. It's more secure, it's easy to use, it fits for today's hybrid workforce and it allows user-centric policies. So yeah, definitely Zero Trust methodologies, you know, in the heart of what we're doing and we continue to play this game in the future. But the product itself, I mean, you're... You're not rolling out a zero trust version of your product. It's your product assumes Assume some of the, some trust. of the foundational exactly. principles of zero trust is all right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So talk talk to me about your typical customers and how you've been reaching them. You know, from a marketing point of view, a lot of our audience is in marketing right now, and and many of those folks are frustrated by. Uh, by this uh, very tightened market here with, you know, you uh, you know uh, equally or better than I do about how tough it is to get your signal through the noise uh, these days with what we've got almost 5,000 participants, vendors in the marketplace. And mm-hmm. how have you been successful in getting your, your message out? And then what are your plans for continuing that kind of outreach over the next, say, six months or so? So our typical customer are of the mid-market, more of the small, medium enterprises. And, you know, everybody has a different definition to it. So I'll just say it's between 50 to, I guess, uh, 5,000 employees. Customers, which we gained great success with, they are much more modern and quick to deploy and they use uh, and use. And they also allow us to work closely with uh, them to build a better product. I guess some other vendors or competitors that are more in the SASE market, which SASE has the security components, but also a network component, which is the SD1. Those typically start from the from the very top, right? From the Fortune 5000 or Fortune 2000 that are more the traditional, bigger companies who also rely very heavily on the SD1. Uh, this is not where we play. We play at the 50 to 5000 employees. They are very much of a hybrid company working combination of on-prem and in the cloud. And and like I said, they're very modern, quick to deploy news and so on. Eventually, small customers are paying for the product and they expect the service to be free. The bigger customers, the the, the enterprises are paying for the service and they expect the product to be free. 
with the mid-sized customers that we are targeting, they actually buy both. They buy the product and they buy the service. And this is where we excel. Yeah, it sounds to me like there there is a sort of intense service component to, to your offering. How many people do you have on the service side? Well, it, it's really like that the, the platform itself uh, is very self-managed, basically. But if, the, if we're talking about the very small companies and if they don't have the resources to really run the, the platform on their own, they can always work with an MSP or an MSSP who would give them that service. Oh, okay. Okay. So you, you uh, have a partner network and whether yes. they're MDRs or MSSPs or ISPs or what have you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we, we, I don't think we got to from a campaign strategy mm-hmm. and tactics point of view here. What have you found that works for you in terms of outreach? And then, you know, what doesn't? I know that, again, I mean, we've got marketing folks in the audience that are dying for some insight about, you know, how they're going to get their message out and where they should spend their money, uh, what little of it they may have. Yes. So, of course, that's like the a tricky question that everybody wants to know. I don't know that it's, you know, the same for everybody, but I recommend to invest in intent-driven demand generation programs, whether through, you know, like paid search or through media outlets who provide intent data-powered solutions. And this too can be tricky as if you are a startup in a whole new category, the search volume will be low and those categories still may not exist in all the media outlets. So even if you wanted to do the intent Sometimes it's still very low or not possible until, until you create enough education and, and the category, you know, is starting to ramp up. Um, the second part to invest in intent is the, you know, how people talk about product market fit. So I like to talk about the search ad content fit. You know, some people invest a lot in in paid and in intent and in advertising, but actually the there is a disconnect or sometimes just not optimized campaign when the search keywords and the ad and the content uh, don't all sit together. I often see vendors and marketing professionals launch a campaign where the defined keywords don't align with the ad copy, with the CTA, uh, with the landing page copy and the content, and this will result in very low conversions. So this is something that really needs to be optimized. Also investing in SEO on-page and off-page uh, and in A-B a- testing is also key because, you know, once you've created the education and traffic uh, or interest, then you want to make sure that you come out, you know, on top in terms of the search results. And, you know, I've, I've been to startups that actually have not invested in A-B testing. It, it's pretty easy to do. There are a lot of platforms today for it and you can test pretty much everything. So, you know, you can direct half of the traffic this way, another half the other way. You can test many different subject lines. You can test different call to actions, different colors. And this is something I really recommend to do in order to really optimize your campaigns. And one last thing I want to talk about is events. Really, events is about brand awareness and demand generation, direct and through channels and affiliates, uh, pipeline acceleration, cross-sell and upsell and media relations. So events really at least in my opinion, give you a whole lot of value. And from my experience in the past, especially if you sell to the enterprise segment, 
uh, events used to bring 30% of the ARR. With COVID, everyone went digital and it's gotten more difficult to raise above the noise because, you know, if people before invested some in digital, some in events throughout the last two years, they've been all digital. And even now that events are coming back with all the bells and whistles, uh, for example, RSA, still attendance won't be as high as it used to be. So we also need to address people who don't physically attend but are interested. And so we have to go virtual too. And, and, and the whole thing of being physical and virtual together to really catch on everybody, this will cause events budget to raise again. But I do think that it is worth it. Talking about virtual events, they, they don't have the same impact as face-to-face, not in terms of it not being really personal, not getting out of the office, not mingling uh, and enjoying like personal relationship. It has much fewer leads and traction unless you're a speaker. But really, again, not everybody is traveling, so it will generate broader audience reach and improve also speaker accessibility. Imagine that speakers need to travel less, so they're more available to, to being a speaker. And really, the big issue is that you need both of them right now. And it's a lot of resources, like whether it's the production cost, the hosts or the speakers, the moderators, you want to have one online and one on site, the marketing technologies you have to deploy in order to have the virtual events. Uh, swags and double spaces and recording uh, studios and and so on and so forth. So to sum up, we really have to be competitive on all this stuff. And I really suggest to consider going both virtual and physical on the events and test it out. Yeah. What did you think about RSA uh, this year? Yeah. Um, So... So I went in person. It was, you know, nice to get out after such a long time. So, you know, before RSA, so in one of the CISO groups, someone was asking who's going to attend RSA in San Francisco in June. And she had almost 200 people voting on the poll. And uh, 46% said they're not going to go. 23% they said they haven't decided. And the 11% said they will attend virtually. Right. And then only 20% said they're going to attend in person. I heard that, uh, I mean, when I was there, traffic was much less than in the past. And I heard, but I'm not sure it's it's correct, that they had 25,000 people attending. In the past, I think it was more like 40,000. So I did feel less traffic throughout the days, uh, much less traffic. I mean, we had a very good show either way, but uh, it wasn't like previous years. Yeah. And, and by the way, we did also go virtual. So we invested also in a virtual activity uh, during RSA to address that audience who chose not to go. Uh-huh. And you, what, streamed that? Uh, so, yeah. So we had a side event that was a full day. We had people coming into that side event throughout the day for a number, for a number of panels and networking and food and some giveaways. But in parallel, we were streaming. Yes, we were streaming the all the, you know, the the panels and such and the talks. And we had people who registered in advance to the physical versus the virtual. And we had attendance in both. So, And you had some measurable It was a good experience. Yeah, measurable. I mean, we got a few hundred, many few hundred leads. I'm talking just about that side event, both physical and virtual. And probably the registration was like 50-50. Ah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the RSA has uh, divested itself of that conference. And I guess the 
is now owned by a you know a private equity firm, and not, it's not clear what how they're going to do that next year. But regardless, you you have you place a lot of value in both the event itself, both virtually as well as you think that it's important to participate physically. Is that my read? Yeah, I mean, at least for now, I think people are eager to meet back face to face, and uh, at least from my personal experience, it's it, the interlock and the relationship building that you can make, and uh, we, in a physical event, are just a whole lot different than what I've experienced in virtual activities throughout the two years of COVID. So I'm all for a combination. And not just going just for events or just for digital and just for virtual. I think that different people like different ways of communication. And I'm trying to cater into that. Yeah. Okay. Help me with the future here. Uh, maybe a final question because I'm, I'm conscious of our time together. So I think, you know, whatever there are, 4,000, 5,000 different vendors all selling similar product across all these categories right now. What's the evolution of the product roadmap from your point of view, from, you know, Premier Ready One's point of view? And what are the specific things that it will take you guys to, you know, or, or any company, I guess, to become a winner in, in, a, particular, uh, in a particular solution swim lane? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I will not presume to to predict the future, but similarly to other technology categories, like even like marketing technologies, there are also 5,000 vendors. There will naturally be consolidation and some things are probably not meant to be or too early and less of a must have and more of a nice to have or, or other barriers. There are really not several categories, but many categories and most of them uh, out there uh, are to solve into different needs. Indeed, some overlap. Indeed, within a category, you will find few vendors offering similar things, but each will emphasize and focus on a different benefit or micro needs. The customers will often need to decide if they favor price over quality or simplicity over complexity, a one-stop shop to a more specialized or tailor-made and so on. Uh, Sometimes they will even prioritize relationship or prioritize uh, a, a customer success team. Uh, a good customer success team, so they will get ongoing support. So as a vendor, you always need to revisit where you are in terms of product market fit and how you are positioned in the competitive landscape versus the challenges of your prospects uh, when you determine your roadmap and, and look forward. Some things vendors do to determine how they win are, you know, speak to the customers uh, and ask, does your roadmap address the customer needs? They speak to the integrators and to the resellers and the MSPs. They speak to analysts and they ask stuff like, does your roadmap match the Gartner categories? Do you mix between categories to point solutions and frameworks? Like, like many times happens, like SSE versus SASE versus Zero Trust, which we mentioned before, usually no vendor really solves into a full framework. So it may be the two vendors work by by framework, but they fit into different categories and that's okay. So, you know, these are just some of the things to, to consider. And you need to think how your roadmap 
and how the choices you make will differentiate you from the rest of the competition. We usually just listen in, you know, we analyze and listen in to maybe what is missing in, in the offering of what exists in the market and we try to tap into that. Yeah. The other part of that question, if you will, is that, you know, a lot of companies have sort of figured out one sort of thing that works for them really well. In the case of brand authority, for example, and you mentioned brand authority being a, a key driver in your mind to the tied to uh, participation in events. In other words, you show up at an event that communicates your brand authority. And, and, and in fact, I think if you're not at an event, it's, you're sort of uh, conspicuous by your absence. People start wondering where's Perimeter 81 and whatever happened to them. And that's not a good thing. Is there one thing that you guys have done and will continue to do to kind of differentiate yourselves going forward just from a pure brand authority point of view? It's very hard to choose one, uh, honestly. There are, you know, a few things. It starts from, I guess, you know, the messaging. We try to be consistent with our added value. And if our added value is being radically simple, because we figured out that uh, if it's not simple, companies will not deploy it and they will not use it. So for me, simplicity equals security. And that's why we go with the messaging of radically simplify your network security. So I guess the messaging is one. The other is, you know, maybe your culture and your identity, wanting it to come out in how you approach the market on, on your marketing, whether it's, you know, I just walked on the on the RSA floor and I noticed that maybe just one or two other vendors in addition to us actually had a team in their booth. Most of them just had, you know, the standard booth it's it's you know it's you can see their brand uh, you can see a reception you you can see demo stations but there was no theme and i think that people today they take decisions uh with hearts and minds together and yep. it's very important at least to me to do our b2b marketing in a b2h way business to humans so to me delivering experiences through events through digital marketing for example we recently launched an abx campaign so we have a theme going with it because we want it to be different. We want it to look different. We want it to, to be heard in a different way because otherwise it will not raise above the noise. So that all ties back into brand authority. I mean, you want to be different. You want to raise about the, above the noise and, and that is part of who you are, part of your culture and how you talk to people, not to businesses. We talk to people, business to humans. Yeah, exactly. Woman after my heart. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, all right. Listen, uh, thank you again, Gilly, for taking time out of your schedule to, to join us today. It was great. It's always great talking with you. Uh, and, you, you know, God, you know, mega congratulations on your success. Very few folks have uh, achieved what you've achieved and uh, uh, both individually. Thank you so much. And as a company. so. Uh, Thank you again, and maybe we'll uh, we can get back together in a few months and revisit and see where things are. Wonderful! Thank you so much. All right, take care. Thank you. You too. Bye bye.
Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Cyber Theory, or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.